Before we start the story, I want to give a huge shout out to my first patron ever, Aja Flynn. Thank you so much for supporting me, just like you always have. And a massive thank you to everyone who's been listening to these stories and supporting the channel. If you enjoy what I do on here, I strongly urge you to go over to Patreon and show your support. Especially if you want to help independent artists continue to make the stuff that you love. I really work super hard writing, recording, and editing these stories, so every little bit helps. Either way, more stories are always coming, and now with your regularly scheduled programming. Oh, sorry, man. Watch out, asshole. Jesus, man, I said I'm sorry. I don't care. You better look where you're going. You don't know who you're bumping into. Alright, now you're just being crazy. Fuck you, pussy. What'd you call me? You heard me, you little bitch. You better calm down. You're really asking for it. Asking for what? A kiss on the lips? Is that why you bumped into me, pal? I'll show you a kiss on the lips. sad, broken man walked the street alone. Although his destination for the night was clear, the bottomless despair he trudged through made his destination in life uncertain. Once an existence full of promise and joy, now a bitter mockery of everything that came before. For the sad, broken man was none other than Jimmy McDermott, Patterson's finest boxing prospect of all time. His career trajectory was straight to the top as a young man in the prime of his life. The only thing capable of bringing him down was himself. And that's exactly what he did. Jimmy was a genuine star in a place that was otherwise dull and uninspiring. A beacon of light shining brightly and bobbing proudly in a sea of darkness he represented something the city had little of. Hope. Hope for a brighter tomorrow. Hope for the next generation to become something more. But that was then. And this is now. The bright light that shone so dearly now flickered and was beginning to fade away. Hope was slowly dying and the star that was untouchable Jimmy McDermott was going with it. He walked into the house and laid down on the couch. He rested his throbbing head on the pillow and grimaced in pain as the blood dried on his nose and mouth. All Jimmy wanted now was sleep, to escape the torment he faced on a daily basis. Although he knew deep down, nothing could wake him from the nightmare his life had become. Long after the sun came up, 
Jimmy was awakened by his best and oldest friend, Lenny. Jesus Christ, Jimmy. Not again. What happened to you? Nothing, man. It's nothing. It isn't nothing, Jimmy. This is the third week in a row. What's going on? It's just bad luck. You know how many drunken assholes are out there every night? Nah, I don't know, Jim. You never used to be like this. I'm a fighter, Lenny. This is what we do. We get in fights sometimes. Yeah, not like this. Used to be great, man. Used to be great. It was true. Jimmy was great. At just 12 years old, he caught the eye of Gerald McNamara, famed boxing coach and former professional boxer himself. Growing up in the same neighborhood, Gerald would see the young boys playing basketball in the park. Jimmy played defense like a person about to fight. He slid left, right, forward and backward seamlessly. His lightning-fast reflexes made sure no one could get past him, and his quick hands stole, deflected, and disrupted the ball in every situation. He made playing the game a horrid experience for anyone he was guarding. He badgered, harassed, and made everything difficult for his opponents. One day, Gerald watched on as the boys played three-on-three, smoking a cigarello in the distance. Jimmy was guarding a boy much bigger than him, who was making full use of his size advantage. He threw his weight around and bodied Jimmy every chance he could. But Jimmy got his hands on the ball and prevented him from scoring in almost every possession. He stripped, blocked, and knocked away the ball every time the large boy had it and clapped loudly every time he did so. Jimmy's large opponent was getting visibly frustrated and started playing more aggressively as a result. He tried to punish Jimmy physically, but Jimmy just kept grinding and scraping, making it impossible for the boy to score or do any of the things he wanted to, each time clapping closer and closer to the boy's face. The final straw came when, in a fit of rage, the boy had the ball and dug his shoulder into Jimmy's chest, plowing his way toward the basket. Jimmy was tossed backward, but in the act managed to swat the ball cleanly out of the boy's hands as he went up to lay the ball in. Before he even knew what happened, Jimmy was there to meet him with two loud claps right next to his ear. Without hesitation, the boy angrily shoved Jimmy with both hands and began swinging wild punches in his direction. Reading each one perfectly, Jimmy dodged out of the way with expert precision, making the large, furious boy look foolish in the process. This only made him more infuriated and more out of control as he tried even harder to land a punch on Jimmy. The more he tried, the sillier he looked and the other boys on the court began to laugh at the comical madness taking place before them. Jimmy now put his hands behind his back and leaned his head forward, taunting the boy to give him a real good one right on the chin. Swinging ferociously and not even coming close, the spectators were now in hysterics, pointing and laughing at the boy's frustration. In a final gesture of defeat, he yelled, Fuck you! 
fuck you all, to everyone in the vicinity, before stomping off in anger. The rest of the boys cheered Jimmy on afterwards, for his poise and victory. The match was won by decision. The decision that Jimmy was a better fighter and athlete, and that the other boy was an utter buffoon, who had no place competing with a kid like Jimmy, in anything. He had won the fight without throwing a single punch. And in that moment, Gerald knew Jimmy was something special. I knew the kid was something else from the first time I saw him. I mean, he had this sense of awareness just other people don't have. You could tell by the way he did, well, anything. And then when he got in the gym, I knew he was special. Nobody. And I mean nobody worked like him. You'd ask him to wash your car and you'd have to get a new paint job or something. <laughs> yeah, he was special. I'm sure he still is, but he's just... troubled. It was clear that for a child of his age, he was gifted. But what really set him apart from the others was his will to win. Jimmy could not stand losing. The more Gerald watched him, the more he thought the boy belonged in a boxing ring and not a basketball court. Gerald invited the kid to his gym to hit the bag and see if he liked it. With his parents' blessing, Jimmy showed up and trained under Gerald. From the very beginning, Jimmy displayed intuitive skills that only the most skilled of boxers had attained over time. His ability to read movements and stay one step ahead put him a cut above the rest. Jimmy took to training like a professional and was an absolute workhorse. Boxing became an obsession for him, even before having an organized fight. He trained for years before entering City League at age 15. There, he was exposed to other young men who practiced the sport seriously. Gerald took his time training Jimmy, but wasted none in getting him fight experience. Gerald threw him in the deep end, head first, because he wanted to see if Jimmy really was the competitor he seemed to be. Immediately, he was fighting boys bigger, older, and more experienced than him. Now was a crucial time for Jimmy, a make-or-break situation, to decide if this was the life for him, a life full of competition, heartache, and glory. Jimmy started off in citywide tournaments, with Gerald ringside. Jimmy's first ever boxing match was against a boy a year older than him. Jimmy's opponent was an experienced youngin, already with knockout power. From the opening bell, it was clear that Jimmy wasn't going to win. He slipped, dodged, evaded, and even frustrated his large and powerful opponent. But a perfectly timed right hook in the third round put Jimmy on the canvas. Out for the count. This crude introduction to the sport forced Jimmy to confront the reality of it all. Losing in this game wasn't like losing anything else. It was worse. It hurt. And it was shameful. But Gerald's test proved successful. Jimmy wasn't discouraged from fighting at all. His obsession only grew more intense. After the first fight, Jimmy worked even harder. No longer wanting to play defense, he wanted to be the one to administer pain. 
In his next fight, Jimmy brought forth an aggression like Gerald had never seen. Facing another large opponent, Jimmy gave him a run for his money. This time going on the attack, Jimmy put the young man on his heels and ended up winning by decision. Soaring sky high after the victory, Gerald knew he had a winner on his hands. He smiled at Jimmy with the fondness of a father to his son, and Jimmy smiled back from the counter stool at the diner with a vanilla milkshake mustache and a puffy black eye. He didn't win City League that year, or the next year, experiencing a few more devastating knockouts and painful losses by decision. But with each loss, Jimmy grew stronger and more determined to win. Gerald knew that it was only a matter of time until Jimmy's physicality caught up with the rest of the boys. By then, his skills would be so fine-tuned that they would have no idea what to do. Jimmy McDermott would soon become a problem. Now at age 17, Jimmy grew taller, longer, and more filled out with muscle. This time around, he was the same age as most of the boys in the City League tournament. But the fights were completely one-sided. Jimmy picked apart each of his opponents. He let them attack, studied their styles, and found their weaknesses. When the time was right, he would go on the offensive and secure the victory, winning most of the fights by knockout. Jimmy soon found himself in the championship bout for the City League tournament, going up against last year's winner and his first opponent ever. This was a matchup Jimmy anticipated eagerly. The opening bell sounded and the defending champ came out swinging. Jimmy read each punch like an open book and slipped them with ease. He kept this up for the first two rounds without throwing a single punch as his opponent began to grow tired and frustrated. Now in the third round, not a single punch had been landed on Jimmy and the tired boy was starting to make mistakes. Jimmy saw how much he loved his one-two combo, left jab leading into vicious right hook. It was the signature move that got him this far but he used it way too much. He advertised that right hook like a billboard on Main Street, but Jimmy wasn't buying it. The boy then threw a quick left and wound up with the right. Jimmy anticipated it and ducked while winding up with a counter haymaker of his own. As soon as the boy's glove passed over Jimmy's head, he popped up and landed a devastating right hook on the boy's chin. He hit the ground like a sack of potatoes as Jimmy stood over him, glaring at the former champion. Only one punch was thrown by Jimmy the whole fight, and it made him the Patterson City League champ. This earned him the right to compete in the statewide tournament against the best fighters in all of New Jersey, and Jimmy was ready for them. In the statewide tournament, Jimmy wreaked havoc he dominated each competitor one by one. And Gerald could see that he was really finding himself and coming into his own as a fighter. He was developing a particular fight mentality and a signature style which the crowd loved. Jimmy danced around his opponents and taunted them with his presence. He made them angry and frustrated by acting cocky about not getting hit. He would then make the other fighters think that they had a chance 
before taking it away. Jimmy loved striking at opportune moments and not following up with more punches, letting opponents know that he could end the fight at any time. The way he moved was like art, baiting fighters into throwing everything they had into a single punch and slipping it by millimeters, all to pop back into place and dare them to throw another. This earned him the nickname Untouchable Jimmy, as he soon became a crowd favorite in the statewide tournament. He won the championship fight by knockout and was officially the top youth fighter in New Jersey. The next year, Jimmy won the tri-state area tournament and competed in a national tournament against the best youth boxers in the whole country. He ended up ranking in the top 10, but won the hearts of the audience with his untouchable style. He brought this fame back home and was seen as a neighborhood hero at the meager age of 18. The people were proud, proud to have representation, proud to have respect, but above all, proud to have someone fighting in their corner, an experience they never had before. Jimmy kept training and training and decided to take it to the next level by beginning his amateur career. There he would get in the ring with grown men and work his way toward professional status. At this point, that was the only thing that Jimmy wanted, to fight at the highest level, to show his skills on the world stage and hear the city, the state, the whole country cheering his name. And he knew he could do it too. He just needed to prove himself first and that's exactly what he did. Jimmy entered the amateur realm with the confidence of a professional. He executed opponents with efficiency and precision and didn't mess around with taunting or scoring style points. He was all business, no sweet stuff. 16-0 ended up being his amateur record and quiet mumblings of a young man named Jimmy McDermott entered the world of boxing. It was around this time when Jimmy met Lindsay. He met her at a bar one night while having a few drinks with his friends. Jimmy didn't go out or drink very much, but he was persuaded by his pals after a well-earned victory. He saw Lindsay standing at the bar and immediately felt compelled to talk to her. Jimmy had no idea why he felt this way, but he didn't care. He had to know who she was. When he spoke to her, she spoke back without judgment, and they talked like any two people would at a bustling bar on a Saturday night. Lindsay had no idea who he was, and when he told her, she didn't care. She only saw him for who he was, the young man standing in front of her, looking for a conversation. Jimmy took immense comfort in that. Everyone else in his life saw him as Jimmy the fighter, the hope, the promise. He was more of an idea than a person to those surrounding him, and to be near someone who had no connection to that world was a breath of fresh air. The seeds of love had been planted and needed only to grow. Finding Lindsay was a blessing for Jimmy. Most guys his age got easily distracted with partying and girls. 
Jimmy's local fame could have set him down a narrow path away from his dreams. But with Lindsay, he could really focus on what was important. Jimmy turned pro at age 22 and had his first bout with a guy from out of state. He was another up-and-coming boxer who hailed all the way from Michigan named Shane O'Doyle. In a lot of ways, the two were the same. Both young, hungry, and everything to gain. Jimmy stepped into the ring and felt right at home. The opening bell sounded and the two fighters approached each other. The first round started off slow, but at one point, Shane hit him with a body shot that shook Jimmy. It was at that moment Jimmy realized he wasn't in the amateurs anymore. The pros were different. They moved faster, hit harder, fought better. Jimmy knew he was going to have to be very careful if he wanted to win this fight. The next round, Jimmy studied his movements and didn't let him hit the body again. Shane was growing tired, but insisted on going for the knockout, a mistake that would prove fatal for him by the end of the fight. Shane went on the offensive to finish the third round strong, but was met by a brutal uppercut when he least expected it. Jimmy followed up with nothing but a simple gesture. He put his hands behind his back and leaned his head forward, serving it up for Shane to knock out of the park. He angrily swung for the fences and missed narrowly as Jimmy ducked at the last moment right before the bell sounded. The crowd groaned in awe of the disrespectful notion, and the fight suddenly became much more interesting as Jimmy smiled on the way back to his corner. Shane's angry expression was evident in the fourth round, accompanied by desperately ferocious attempts to knock Jimmy out. Jimmy's movements were like a performance, evading Shane's deadly attacks but also showing the crowd that he enjoyed it, making his opponent work tremendously to no avail, telling him constantly, you can't touch me without saying a word. In the fifth round, Jimmy lit up Shane with a four-punch combo, but didn't press very much further, sending the message that he was going to go the distance. The sixth and seventh rounds involved more struggling on Shane's part, and more failed attempts at trying to embarrass Jimmy at his own game. By the eighth round, Jimmy started to apply pressure. With a series of body shots and jabs, he wanted to wait until the twelfth and final round to really lay it on him. When the twelfth round finally came, Shane's aggravation got the best of him, as he lashed out one final time for his nimble opponent, leaving him completely exposed. He was met by an earth-shattering hook from Jimmy's right hand. Jimmy followed up with a lethal four-punch combo that ended in a perfectly placed uppercut. Shane's limp body collapsed onto the canvas and the ref didn't even bother to count. The bell rang and the crowd roared triumphantly. Jimmy had won his first pro fight and the thrill of victory overpowered everything else. From this moment forward, Jimmy would devote his life to winning, or lose everything in the process, because to him it didn't matter.
a life void of this otherworldly sensation wasn't one worth living. And this was only the beginning. Jimmy was right back in the gym the very next day, training hard and working on his skills, even though there was no fight scheduled. Gerald saw this and realized that Jimmy's determination was unmatched. His love of winning and thrill of competition began to spill out of the ring and into everyday life, however. Jimmy liked to play cards on Sunday night at his childhood friend Lenny's house with a few of the guys. These card games had always been lighthearted fun, but when money started to get involved, it became more than a game for Jimmy. You see, losing suddenly became more than losing. And winning, well, there was no other feeling like it. But Jimmy didn't stop there. He met a bookie named Al and started betting on sports. Jimmy was never much of a sports fanatic, but he was now. He paid close attention to baseball, football, and basketball. When there was money on a game, Jimmy was all eyes and all ears. Jimmy, what's going on, kid? Oh, feeling hot today, baby. That's what I like to hear. Who you want? What's the spread on the Knicks? Minus seven. All right, all right, let me get ten on that. What about the 49ers? Plus 12. But they've been cold, man. What? That's like two touchdowns. Let me get 10 on them. Who's hot in college right now? Ohio State is on fire right now. Oh, yeah? Let me get 20 on them. Don't you want to know who they're playing? The spread? Fire is fire, Al. Don't question it. All right, all right. Money up front. You know the deal, Jimmy. That's 40. In time, Jimmy's gambling habits became public knowledge. It was never seen as a problem, because he always had money. He kept a job painting houses and doing contract work. And when he wasn't working, he trained in the gym. When he wasn't doing either of these things, he was fighting. But not just fighting. Winning. As long as Jimmy won, he could do no wrong. No matter how much money he lost, the people around him encouraged everything he did. Everyone except Lindsay. Unlike everyone else, she saw Jimmy as a human being, not as a superhero fighter incapable of losing or making mistakes. His betting habits concerned her, and just because he wasn't losing at all, didn't make it all right. Lindsay made Jimmy promise to put some money away, and everything he saved, she would match, to someday buy a house and start a family, a life Lindsay always wanted, and prayed to God she could have with him. Aside from Jimmy's gambling, everything else in his life was looking up. Now at 24 years of age, Jimmy was an athletic powerhouse, he trained like no other boxer out there and had a maniacal approach to preparing for fights. His friends joked, saying that he was addicted to the gym, and Lenny always busted his chops 
calling the gym his girlfriend, just like he did about the basketball court when they were kids. The truth was, Jimmy wasn't addicted to the gym, training, or even boxing. He was addicted to winning and the invincible feeling that came with victory. His record reflected this at 18-0 in just two years of fighting professionally. And Jimmy was starting to make waves in the boxing world. News traveled about the untouchable Jimmy McDermott. And fighters all across the nation wanted a shot at putting a permanent stain on his record. Jimmy had fight offers from boxers in Massachusetts all the way to California. And his ticket value was at an all-time high. He had people who wanted to see him win. And a whole lot more who wanted to see him get knocked out. Jimmy's manager told him to hold out on accepting a fight and wait for a big-name boxer to agree on fighting him. If Jimmy could win against an established fighter, it would boost his career to the next level and bring him one step closer to becoming a household name. In the meantime, Jimmy kept training, working, and leaning into his usual habits. It was in the middle of an angry rant to Lindsay when he got the call. Jimmy picked up the phone to hear Coach Gerald's voice on the other end. Jimmy, kid. You got it. You big shot. Really? Who? Tommy Bronson, kid. Tommy Bronson. Jimmy's eyes opened wide, and his head shot straight to the moon. He thanked Gerald before hanging up the phone, and turned to Lindsay to tell her the big news. They hugged and rejoiced, and then Jimmy got back on the phone to tell everyone he knew. He started with his parents, and then called Lenny. Lenny! Lenny, man, I got the fight! Bronson? Did you get Bronson? Yeah, man, he just accepted this morning. Oh, shit. Jimmy, this is huge. Yeah, baby, I'm gonna start training now. Hell yeah, my boy Jimmy's gonna be big time. Jimmy was flush with excitement, as the opportunity to fight Tommy the Tank Bronson was just the one he had been waiting for. Tommy was an established boxer on the back end of his career. In his prime, Tommy was one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the country, and at one point the WBA middleweight title holder. Now aging and coming off a devastating loss to Pedro Estrada of Mexico, Tommy was looking to bounce back and have a second act to his already celebrated boxing career. What better way than to beat a highly coveted up-and-coming boxer like Jimmy McDermott? This cocky move showed that Tommy didn't respect Jimmy's experience and saw him as an easy come-up. Jimmy had other plans for Tommy's career, as a win would propel him into the national spotlight and bury Tommy's career for good. Jimmy trained like hell, as if losing wasn't an option, because it wasn't, and the thought of it made him so mad he'd rather die than lose the fight that would make his career. Shortly after the fight was announced, a press conference was held with both fighters present to answer questions and address the public. Mr. Bronson, what are your thoughts going into this fight with the young Jimmy McDermott? Oh, I feel great. Really looking forward to beating this youngster's ass. Who knows, 
He might learn a thing or two in there with me. Jimmy, what do you have to say about that? Listen, I have a tremendous amount of respect for Mr. Bronson. He's had a great career. But the truth is, he's old. He's washed up. His time is over. I'm the future. I'm gonna knock him out so bad that when he wakes up, he's gonna be in a fucking retirement home. <laughs> the imagination's on these kids. I don't know where they get their ideas from. Let me tell you, son, it's not gonna be like a movie in there. I'm gonna take you on the full ride. The anger Jimmy felt from Tommy's attitude was unexplainable. How dare he think this fight would be a cakewalk, that his skills were no match. Jimmy was determined to show him, and the rest of the country, that he was an elite fighter, worthy of the top spot. The rage he felt was only exacerbated by public opinion. Of course Patterson was rooting for Jimmy, but the rest of the country was not. They talked about him on the radio as if the fight was already over, as if Jimmy had been knocked out in the first round. Steam nearly shot out of Jimmy's ears when he saw the Vegas book odds on the fight. Six to one. A six to one chance that Jimmy would win. As if it would take six Jimmy McDermott's to beat one Tommy Bronson. The disrespect was unreal. It was then Jimmy decided he wasn't just going to beat Bronson in the ring, but everyone else for doubting him. And he was going to hit him hard. Right in their pockets. Jimmy was a great kid. I mean, is a great kid. You know, he just had a bit of a problem. Couldn't stay away from the books. I used to love watching him walk through because I knew I was going to get some money. But after a while, it just got kind of sad. That's why I started making him pay me up front. I didn't realize how bad his problem was until the day before his big bout. Hey, Jimmy, what are you doing here, man? I want to place a bet. Whoa, whoa, your big fight's tomorrow. Shouldn't you be focusing on that? I am. I heard the odds against me are like six to one. Eight to one. Good. I want to bet on myself. What? Nah, man, you can't do that. Why not? I can't throw a fight I'm trying to win. I don't know, Jim. It seems kind of unethical. Whatever. If you don't want to take it, I'll just go down to Big Bill's shop. He'll take it. Jimmy, are you crazy? If you lose and don't pay up, those guys will kill you. So what are you saying? You think I'm going to lose? Nah, nah, Jimmy. I, I know you'll win. I just... Alright, so write it down then. <sighs> Alright. How much you want? Everything. Jimmy not only bet the money he put away for Lindsay, but also the guaranteed payday he would receive from the fight. Jimmy really put everything on himself, and it was all or nothing from here on out. In the days leading up to the fight, Jimmy shut himself off from everyone and everything. He didn't talk to his coach, Lindsay, family, or friends. He didn't read the papers or watch TV. He just waited in silence and mentally prepared for the fight. On the night of the big bout, hundreds upon hundreds shuffled into Sunnyside Garden Arena in Queens, New York. The crowd was abuzz over the return of Tommy the Tank Bronson and his comeback narrative 
on this vibrant and energetic night. The people are really piling in at Sunnyside Garden Arena tonight to see Tommy the Tank Bronson fight a new face in the world of professional boxing. The untouchable Jimmy McDermott in a 12-round bout. The crowd seems to expect this one to be an easy win for Bronson, but let's see if Jimmy McDermott can live up to his name and give us a show. Jimmy entered the arena to a crowd that was lively with anticipation, but largely uninterested with his presence. He approached the ring to a few distant cheers, but mostly uninterrupted chatter, as the people waited for the real reason their asses were in the seats. Tommy Bronson then emerged from the corner of the arena and was greeted with an overwhelming roar of applause from the audience. He stepped into the ring and looked at Jimmy as a rich man would a used car, top to bottom and without concern. This pissed Jimmy off even more than the Vegas book odds. He would give Bronson a reason to be concerned before the fight was over. This fight has officially begun, and Tommy Bronson is out of the gate swinging. Boy, is he really wasting no time here in the first round. It was clear just how Bronson wanted to win this fight. He was fast, and he was strong but no match for Jimmy's impeccable defense. Bronson swung, and Jimmy dodged. No matter how hard he tried, he just couldn't seem to land a clean punch on the untouchable Jimmy. The first three rounds played out just like this. Oohs and ahs surfaced from the crowd as Jimmy narrowly avoided powerful blows by the hand of Bronson. We're entering the fourth round now, and things have been pretty even thus far. Bronson has been working very hard to do some damage, but McDermott has been making things very difficult for him. Ooh, and McDermott connects with a fierce right hook. Jimmy began to go on the offensive in the fourth round. He landed good shots here and there, and Bronson didn't like it. He got angry at the fact that Jimmy was tagging him up and frustrated by Jimmy's shiftiness. His ability to appear so vulnerable, but actually be so elusive, really bothered Bronson, to the point where he lashed out uncharacteristically in futile attempts to land a single punch on Jimmy. He was starting to look foolish as the momentum of the crowd began to shift in favor of the young newcomer and his deceptive style. Colossal punches thrown and missed by Bronson were followed by astonished gasps from the crowd, and punches landed by Jimmy were met with cheers and applause. As the battle waged on, the scorecard reflected more and more of Jimmy's dominance. His confidence was at its peak, and Jimmy was in total control of the fight. And that concludes the eighth round with McDermott scoring some significant points in that one. He is definitely in the lead with points, and Bronson is still having trouble trying to connect. The fight neared its end leading into the ninth round, and Jimmy was absolutely on fire baiting Bronson into throwing heavy crosses and hooks, then evading them with ease, before following with fierce counterpunches and attacks of his own. The people were finally witnessing the magic of Jimmy McDermott, 
finally getting to see the untouchable nature that made him an artist in his own right. And they were falling in love. He danced with not only Bronson in the ring, but the crowd in the stands, and the audience at home. People found themselves on the edge of their seats and sofas, completely entranced by the beautiful motions of this fighting performer. Jimmy was one step ahead on so many levels. He gave his opponent and the spectators something they wanted to see, took it away, and gave them something else before they even knew they wanted it. With Bronson tiring and running out of gas, Jimmy was just toying with him, taunting him with his signature hands behind the back, and daring him to give it one last effort before his career was over. The 10th and 11th rounds held more of the same, and at this point it was clear. Jimmy was not only going to win the fight, but do it in his signature style, a style unlike anything the people had seen, and one they were immediately captivated by. With moments left in the 11th round, Jimmy went on an aggressive attack, looking to close out the fight with a knockout. As we near the end of the 11th round, McDermott has taken the reins and shocked the crowd with his resilience and skill. He's really giving it to Bronson now, and it looks like the tank is running out of steam, folks. McDermott lays a heavy combo on Bronson, and oh! Brilliant counter-strike by Bronson right before the bell. And it couldn't have come at a better time because it looks like Jimmy's a little shook up by that one. Jimmy stumbled back to his corner as the crowd quietly rumbled, in awe of the massive hit laid on him by Bronson. What the hell is wrong with you, kid? Why'd you let him do that? It's nothing. Fine. I got this. Well, you better not mess this up, Jim. You're gonna win this fight if you just hang in there. Don't go for the knockout. And whatever you do, don't let him do that to you again. But it was too late for the voice of reason. Jimmy had already decided what he was going to do. He was going to beat Tommy the Tank Bronson by knockout and show everybody that he was the real deal. He was going to stick it in everyone's face for doubting him and get a massive payday for it. Nothing could stop him. And now begins the 12th and final round of this incredible bout between Tommy the Tank Bronson and the untouchable Jimmy McDermott. Boy, oh boy, what a show it's been, and Jimmy is looking to end things on a high note. He comes in hot and lands a nice hook followed by a body shot. Oh, he's really digging into Bronson now. It looks like he's trying to finish it here. Bronson is on his heels with nowhere to go. A barrage of punches is coming from McDermott, and the crowd is on its feet. It looks like this is the end, folks. It looks like, oh, massive counter from Bronson, and Jimmy is stunned. He stumbles back, and Bronson moves forward with bad intentions. The pressure is on Jimmy now. He's clearly still phased. Bronson attacks viciously, and it looks like there's still steam in the tank. Bronson connects. He connects again, and again, and again. Oh, no, Jimmy is on the ropes, clean to dear life. Bronson is really giving it to him now. Jimmy can't seem to, oh, devastating uppercut from Bronson, and Jimmy is down. Wow, what a turn of events. The referee is giving Jimmy the count, and he is still face down on the mat. It doesn't look like he's going to recover from this one, as he's still motionless. The referee is waving his arm, and this fight is over. Tommy Bronson wins in dramatic fashion, and the crowd is going wild for him. What an amazing comeback.
Yeah. I always loved Jimmy. He's always been, I guess, like a big kid. He would get super excited about everything. Training and fighting, going on a trip somewhere, anything. When he put that excitement into important things, he would be so great, you know? That's why he was such a good boxer. But sometimes he would put that energy into bad things, you know, like arguing or gambling. As much as I wanted to be with him forever, I knew that if things didn't get better, I'd just have to go. Jimmy lay on the locker room floor in pieces, not knowing how he seemingly won and then lost the biggest fight of his life. Gerald sat in a chair at the other end of the room, staring at Jimmy. The thoughts running through Gerald's head were completely different to the ones pounding into Jimmy's. Of course, Jimmy had a lot more on his plate. He had to deal with the critics, the stigma of losing his first major fight, and above all, the financial damage that came with this loss. It wasn't the money Jimmy cared about. He could always get it back. It was telling Lindsay about what he had done, crushing her trust, and showing her what a truly unstable man he was. He couldn't bear to think about how badly he'd wronged the one person who really loved him for him the one person who put in the efforts to ensure a better future for him. Efforts that he destroyed in a single action. Gerald watched on as Jimmy had his existential experience and knew that it wasn't the end for him. Longevity is something every fighter and human being needed to strive for. And no matter how bad the loss, life always continued. Gerald knew Jimmy could make a comeback and that his career was far from over. At 24 years old, he had his whole life ahead of him, and plenty of opportunity to show the world that he was the real deal. Maybe not now. Maybe not in a year. Or even five years. But if Jimmy took the right steps, he could turn this thing around. However, Gerald was quite worried. Knowing Jimmy's drive and energy, this situation could either make or break him. Jimmy would really need to buckle down and practice supreme discipline in order to get back on track. He would need to put his feelings aside and work for an undetermined amount of time before things would get better. Was he willing to do that? Gerald wasn't sure. And this is where his concern came from. Because if Jimmy couldn't concentrate on something positive, he would nosedive right into negativity, and it would be the end of him. Gerald and Jimmy spent the night in New York, before heading back to Patterson in the morning. Jimmy walked up the steps into his apartment, prepared to be consoled by Lindsay about the bad news, before going through with the hard part. Oh, Jesus, Jimmy, look at you. 
Nah, it's okay. I'll be fine. Don't worry about the fight. You'll get another big ticket and come back. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm not worried about bouncing back in the ring. It's just... I lost a little more than the fight. What do you mean? The day before the fight, I... You know what? Don't even tell me. Just, just tell me how much. A lot. How much is a lot? Our savings. Jimmy! Jimmy, what is wrong with you? That was for us! For our future! That was not yours to put on the line! I know, but the odds were ridiculous. Eight to one? Are you fucking kidding me? I almost had him. Almost is the same as losing everything in this situation, Jim. I can't believe how selfish you are. Selfish? I was doing it for us. Well, all you managed to do is fuck everything up. So you know what? Good job. Hey, if I beat that asshole, we would have enough money to buy a house right now. But you didn't, Jim. So now I'm leaving. Where the hell are you going to go? I don't care. Anywhere, just anywhere away from you. Jimmy sat alone in the apartment day after day, feeling unmotivated in every sense of the word. He had seemingly lost everything at once. His money, his girlfriend, his career, his future. He even lost the willingness to do anything, like train, work, eat, sleep. Jimmy was a wreck. With no money, he was unable to cover his basic expenses. Before long, he needed a place to stay, and there was only one person he could think to go to. Lenny. Jimmy? What the hell are you doing here? Len, I... I need a place to stay for a little bit. What's wrong with your place? Well, it's not mine anymore. I can't pay rent right now, so I'm getting kicked out. What do you mean you can't pay rent? I got no money. What? Why not? Before the fight, I put it all on myself. Jimmy. I know, I know. I fucked up. What about Lindsay? She can't cover you guys for now? She's gone, Lenny. I'm on my own now. I got nothing. I just need a place to stay until I can bounce back. Yeah, man. You know I got you. Come inside. At Lenny's apartment, Jimmy spent his days doing mostly nothing. Lenny was gone during the night, working as a security guard. And when he would return, Jimmy was usually sleeping. Sleeping through the day as if he had been working all night too. Jimmy did eventually start working again painting houses and doing contract work, but was unable to save any money. It seemed to just slip through his fingers like sand. Every time he got paid, he would run to his bookie Al, or over to Big Bill's shop and place bets. On top of that, he also began drinking. It started with a few beers here and there, but after a while turned into a daily occurrence. Jimmy also started dabbling in drugs, 
something he had never previously done, and a very uncharacteristic habit for him to get involved with. Jimmy also started to become very irritable, finding any reason to argue or get upset. He even began quarreling with Lenny about the smallest things, and being rather disrespectful to the one person keeping him off the streets. Lenny was too soft to kick him out. Jimmy had stuck up for him too many times in the past for Lenny to do something like that, even if it was for his own good. He knew Jimmy was just lost and needed to find himself. However long it took, he would be patient and have faith. However, things got worse before they got better. Much worse. Jimmy's drinking had taken a sharp turn and his bitter attitude became aggressive in nature. This attitude followed him everywhere he went, and it came with trouble. Jimmy sat in a quiet bar drinking alone. He fixated on a man sitting a few stools down from him, watching the game. The man looked hardened but relaxed, thinking about only what was in front of him. Jimmy envied this, because although the man didn't look particularly happy in life, he wasn't unhappy either. Jimmy forgot what it was like to enjoy things, so he sat and stared, trying to remember. Just then, the man's concentration broke, as he discovered Jimmy looking to no end. Threatened by his stare, the man said, Yeah, can I help you with something? What? I said, can I help you with something? Yeah, you can get the hell away from me and mind your own business. Look, pal, you're the one looking at me like you got a problem. Either you quit looking at me like a nutcase, or I'm gonna give you one. Ah, fuck you. Fuck me? Yeah, fuck you. Get over here! The man raised his fist and swung at Jimmy with full force. The moment he started this motion, Jimmy knew exactly how to dodge the punch and counter with one of his own. But instead of doing that, a little voice in his head said, Let him do it. Let him hit you. Jimmy stood there and let the man's fist pummel right into the side of his face. He let him do it again and again and again. Jimmy could have stopped the fight whenever he wanted to, but didn't. He didn't know why, but feeling this man punish him for something he'd done felt right. He couldn't explain the feeling that came over him as he lay on the floor, tasting blood in his mouth. A couple of nearby patrons pulled the angry man off of Jimmy, but Jimmy didn't want them to. He wanted to feel the pain to feel the hurt like which he had caused Lindsay. For in that moment, he was free. Free from the guilt of his past mistakes. Everything was equal, and he need not worry about the suffering he had caused. It wasn't long before Jimmy found himself in a similar situation. Once again at a bar, being beaten by a man who he had somehow enticed, The freeing sensation washed over Jimmy in his drunken stupor, which he now welcomed with open arms. In time, 
his actions became more belligerent, and confrontation was now a regular occurrence. Out of my way, asshole. I need a drink. Whoa! Yo, watch it, motherfucker. What do you think you're doing? I'm getting another drink. What are you doing besides being in my fucking way? This guy fucking serious? Yeah, I'm fucking serious. Do I look like I'm joking around? What the hell's wrong with you? Buddy, if you don't cool out, I'm gonna fuck you up. Yeah, right, cocksucker. Motherfucker! At this point, Jimmy was completely unrecognizable. The energy surrounding him made him appear as a completely different person. Once a highly celebrated member of the Patterson community, now an invisible outcast to whom no one paid any attention, Jimmy grew used to this incognito lifestyle, operating on the periphery of society and without care for the consequences of his actions. He had not been in the gym since his big loss to Tommy Bronson nine months ago. Bronson had since fought once more and lost to an up-and-coming boxer before retiring soon after. In the paper, Jimmy saw the face of the fighter who had beat Bronson, a young man named Jack Augustine from neighboring Newark. Jimmy shed a silent tear at the thought of what his life could have been and swallowed his glass of whiskey in one big gulp. Coach Gerald didn't bother reaching out to Jimmy for the first couple of months, but after discovering he had been evicted from his apartment, had no idea how to contact him. Time flew by without any word from Jimmy, and Gerald's concern only became stronger the more time passed. He knew deep in his heart what must have been going on, that darkness and sorrow was consuming Jimmy in a destructive manner. But without the ability to locate or contact him, Gerald could do nothing but wonder how deep into the abyss Jimmy had gone. After being banned from a large number of bars in the city, Jimmy made a new little dive his regular. He decided to be on his best behavior there, as not to get himself blacklisted from yet another place. This little bar was owned by a man named Scott Davis, an old friend of Coach Gerald. He saw Jimmy show up to drink a few times and didn't know who he was, but after a while connected the dots and realized it was untouchable Jimmy himself. Scott also knew Gerald had lost contact and wanted to see him, but didn't know if Gerald wanted to see him like this. One night, Scott spotted Jimmy at the bar and decided to give Gerald a call to tell him who was there. Shortly after, Gerald showed up with some choice words for Jimmy. Jesus Christ, kid, you look like fucking shit. What the hell are you doing here? Someone told me there was a young, promising boxer here slowly throwing his life away, so I thought I'd show up and try and change his mind. Can I take a seat? If you're gonna sit, then sit. Where the hell have you been? You don't come to the gym no more? You don't even call? What's going on with you, Jim? I'm fucking done. I don't want to box anymore. What kind of immature baby shit is that? You lose one fight and now you want to quit? 
That's not the Jimmy I know. The Jimmy I know would come back with a vengeance and make a fool out of anyone who wanted it. Well, that's not me anymore. I fucked my life up and there's nothing I can do to get it back. Okay, so you fucked up. Everyone does that sometimes. But what you're doing right now is giving up. And that's completely different. I got nothing left to fight for, coach. I think it's best if you just go home and forget about me. I'm speechless, kid. I never would have invited you to the gym that day if I knew this sport was going to turn you into a fucking loser. Gerald slowly got up and walked away from the bar. Jimmy sat in silence and stared into the bottom of his glass. One word ran circles around the inside of his head. Loser. Loser. A fucking loser. Jimmy knew what he was being and knew it was ridiculous, but still couldn't find the strength to get up and turn his life around. The only thing he had strength for was putting the glass to his mouth and throwing his head back. For that, he had a lot of strength, as he did it again, and again, and again. The night grew old, and Jimmy didn't move an inch, only fixating on the glass in front of him, and the one word that seemed to define his entire life. His concentration was broken by an uncanny glare coming from down the bar. A mean-spirited stranger sat at the other end of the room and focused intently on Jimmy. What the hell are you looking at? Nothing, man. Well, I ain't nothing, so what the hell are you looking at me for? Look, buddy, I'm not looking at you, okay? There's nothing for me to see there anyway. What the fuck is that supposed to mean? You don't know the first thing about me, asshole. Oh, yeah, I don't. I know that your whole life is fucked up. You don't know shit. I know Tommy Bronson made you look like a child on TV a few months ago. I also know you lost everything you had on that fight. Because you're a fucking degenerate. Hey, watch your mouth. You lost your girl too. What was her name? Lindsay? Yeah, she was pretty. I'm sure she's cozied up to a new fella by now. A dormant rage surfaced immediately in Jimmy. And for the first time in a long time... He got the urge to fight back. He hit the man with a cracking blow right in the jaw, which knocked him clean off the bar stool. On the ground, Jimmy jumped on top of him and continued beating him with his fists. Practically unconscious, the man had no way to fight back, as Jimmy pounded against his face mercilessly. Bloody knuckles mashed into tender flesh and it was clear he had no intention of stopping. With Scott being the only other person in the bar, he was left with the responsibility of pulling Jimmy off the defenseless man. However, in his old age, this proved not to be an easy feat. When he finally got around the bar, the scene taking place was that of a horror movie. Blood pooled on the floor around the man's head, with Jimmy's blood-covered hand still mashing into his face. Scott wrapped Jimmy up and rolled onto the floor with his arms around Jimmy's body, and the unconscious man splayed out motionless, his face a bloody mess, but still quietly breathing. 
the three men laid there on the cold barroom floor, all at completely different places in life. Scott held Jimmy tight and waited for him to calm down, watching tears drip and drop onto the floor as he did so. A new patron entered the bar to discover the appalling scene and called the authorities right away. The man was rushed to the hospital, and Jimmy was escorted to the police station. There wasn't much of an interrogation, because the scene pretty much explained itself. Jimmy was held at the station overnight, and released on bail the next day, with Lenny being the one who put up the money. Between that time and his court date, no words were spoken between Jimmy and anyone else. Not Lenny, not Gerald, not his family, and definitely not Lindsay. Jimmy arrived in court and pled guilty to one count of aggravated assault. Due to the violent nature of the incident and the state of the assault victim, who remained in the hospital for two weeks after the attack, the judge slapped Jimmy with a harsh sentence of five to ten years. The basis of the sentencing being that if Scott was not behind the bar when it happened, the man Jimmy was assaulting would most likely be dead, and the court would be looking at a completely different criminal case. The judge and jury considered Jimmy lucky to be in this situation. And with that, Jimmy accepted his fate and was shipped off to East Jersey State Prison. There, Jimmy did not adjust well to prison life. He was still volatile and did not respond well to authority. On top of that, he was a target among inmates who saw him as a commodity. A once well-known boxer, who most people in prison would have never had the opportunity of meeting. Now a man at such a dramatic low in life, they could get up close and touch him if they wanted to. Angry and indifferent to the consequences of his actions, he mouthed off to the other inmates and prison guards alike. He found himself in scuffles and fights regularly and took beatings as if his body and life had no value. Everyone wanted a piece of him to put hands on the untouchable Jimmy McDermott and feel what it was like to knock out a star. However, this desire was very short-lived, and the attitude of the prisoners changed greatly overnight. Jimmy's aggression and hate-fueled actions didn't change, but in time, the other prisoners began to see it for what it was. Self-loathing. Jimmy never wanted to end fights, just start them, he wanted to be beaten into submission and punish himself for the decisions he had made in the past. Everyone recognized this, and what started as malicious excitement had turned into sorrow and pity. The others at the prison felt genuinely sorry for Jimmy, and soon his spiteful words and invitations to fight had no effect on the other inmates. People left him alone completely, and once again, he was outcasted to the brim of the community. Months passed, and there he stayed, invisible to the eyes and ears of those around him. Jimmy gave up on fighting and spoke to no one day after day. He was left alone with his thoughts, and an unhealthy cycle of ideas spun around in his head. In his cell, Jimmy began to fashion a knife out of a plastic dustbin handle. 
he didn't know why he wanted to fashion this knife, or for what purpose it would serve him in the future. He only knew that he wanted to have it, to keep it nearby, for whatever reason may present itself. The days grew long and the nights grew cold. Jamie saw no way out of this terrible life he had made for himself, and couldn't stand to think about the future. For him, there was none, no path to happiness, or anything resembling a reasonable life. Jimmy scraped and scraped the plastic handle against the concrete windowsill in his cell, pressing and grinding until the side of the handle began to form an acute angle. Before long, the edge of the handle was sharp and pointy. Jimmy ran his thumb along the sharp edge and pressed it against the hard point. It broke his skin, and a drop of dark red blood appeared on his thumb. Jimmy placed the makeshift knife under his mattress and put his head on the pillow. He laid in bed with his eyes closed, but did not sleep the entire night. When the sun arose in the early morning, Jimmy wondered what the day would have in store for him, and his lack of knowing was of great concern. In the prison yard that afternoon, Jimmy sat alone. He stared at the high walls that confined him and his peers, and listened to the sounds that reverberated within them. He heard the other inmates lifting weights, playing basketball, talking and laughing. He wondered how they were able to seem so normal, and go on with life as if they weren't in confinement. Even though many of the inmates would be here for years and years, they still found the motivation to socialize, play games and live their lives, a feeling Jimmy knew very well in the past, but seemed totally foreign to him now. He didn't know if the feeling would ever return, and feared what would happen if it didn't. In the midst of this harrowing contemplation, Jimmy heard something he hadn't heard in a long time. Hey, Jimmy. What do you want, kid? Man, why you let these idiots in here beat you up like that? I don't know what you're talking about. Come on, man. I've seen you get in, what, six, seven fights in here? Every time you let some scrub give you the business. Why? I don't know. Where are you from? I'm from Patterson. Oh, yeah? Me too. Why are you in here? Me and my friends stole a car. We were going to sell it. Stupid. I should have just stayed in the gym. What, you box? Yeah, man. Won city league last year. Well, good for you, kid. What are you doing stealing cars if you're so good at fighting? I don't know. Just got caught up with these knuckleheads from the block. Made some stupid decisions. Yeah, I know what that's like. But I learned something from being in here. Life out there, it's worth it, man. That's why, as soon as I get out of here, I'm going straight back to the ring. I'm going pro. Just like you. Do you know who I am? Yeah, man. You're untouchable Jimmy. You're the whole reason I ever put on gloves and got in there. Look. The young man pulled a picture out of his pocket and handed it to Jimmy. The picture showed the kid several years younger, posing next to Jimmy after one of his amateur bouts. 
both held their fists up and smiled brightly, perfectly encapsulating the happiness of a time forgotten. Jesus, kid, I had no idea. What about you? You gonna make a comeback? I don't know. I think my time is over. Here. Nah, you keep it. I think you need it more than me. Jimmy returned to his cell with the picture and spent the entire evening looking at it. His expression in the picture was that of an unrecognizable person and the boys that of hope and happiness. For back then, other people did see Jimmy as a beacon of optimism, a promise that if he could make it, then anyone could. Jimmy didn't just let himself down with his actions, but everyone else who believed in him. He placed his crude plastic knife down on the floor and looked at it intently. He thought earnestly to himself, is there anything in my life really worth fighting for? Is it really all for nothing? Jimmy slept holding the picture and the knife tightly in his hands. He dreamt of his life before all the mistakes, back when he had done everything right. He dreamt of running next to Lenny on the basketball court, going to Coach Gerald's gym for the first time, and hitting the bag like someone who had a purpose. When he awoke the next morning, he looked at the picture of himself and the young boy and started to remember what it felt like to be the man in the photo. That morning, Jimmy decided to fight in the biggest battle of his life, for his life. He started by doing some push-ups. Although his muscles hadn't been worked like that in a long time, it felt good to use them again. He then went on to write. First, a letter to Coach Gerald, saying thank you for all the wonderful things he had done and that his efforts had not gone unappreciated. Next, he wrote a letter to the man at the bar, the one he put in the hospital. Jimmy expressed remorse for his violent actions and said that he wouldn't do anything like that to anyone ever again. After that, he wrote a letter to Lindsay, apologizing for his irrational behavior and wishing her a happy life with the man she deserved. And finally, a letter to Lenny for being the best friend a person could ever ask for. These gestures were small for most, but great for Jimmy, who had never really gone out of his way for anyone else before. He looked again at the picture and then to the knife. With two hands, he grabbed the knife and snapped it in half with his thumbs. He threw the pieces under the bed and looked out the window. In that moment, Jimmy realized he had done more good than bad with his life. And even though he had gone deep down a path of darkness, it wasn't too late to turn around and go the right way. Jimmy knew he wouldn't get Lindsay back and that his boxing career might be gone for good too. But if he didn't at least try, he would lose everything forever. Right then and there, Jimmy chose to live. He chose to fight because if he didn't, he would become the thing Coach Gerald said he was, a loser. <laughs>
from now on he had no choice. He would live every day, fighting to stay alive, fighting to prove that his life had meaning. This was not the end for the untouchable Jimmy McDermott, but a new beginning. And although he had been touched by wickedness and misfortune, Jimmy would get back up and not back down. He would fight, and he would win.